we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Hey, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. Those of you joining us online, True Worth, uh, and in the sanctuary, and I want to do a special shout out to a family, a good friend of mine, uh, Josh, Kristen, Berkeley, and Harrison. I know you're on the road listening to us, and everybody else is joining us online. However... We uh, find ourselves together. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Now, if, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I've been on staff here for, for some time now. And uh, if you don't know me, what you need to know is that I am a very, very opinionated person. If you know me, you know this is very true. Uh, so much so that I will... I will say some of my opinions as though they're not opinions, as though they are fact. Uh, so what better way to get to know me than if I share with you some of my deeply held opinions? And the first one is this. It's a bit controversial, I know. If you want to disown me afterwards, I, I totally get it. Ice cream? Overrated. I know, I know, I know. It's, it's not that good. You're, you're living a life. You think it is. It tastes okay, but it, it makes you feel all bloated. It just, eh, eh. Cinnamon rolls, that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> second, second thing is this. Now, I've, I'm a lifelong musician. I've been playing music as, as long as I can remember. And I love all types of music. I really do. But the best type of music, the best, and this is, this is not an opinion. This is fact. And... You disagree come see me afterwards and I can tell you why it's true but the best music of all time is 1980s George Strait that's the best there you go I know some of you don't agree that's okay that's all right okay but my third opinion and probably the most controversial is this spring time change Sunday I love it I know, I know, but I do. I love it. I, I, I love, I'm, I'm a morning person. I'm a warm weather guy. It lets me know, hey, spring is on its way. Summer's coming. I love that extra hour that I get after I, I, I get home. Uh, my son and I, we have a place in our backyard where we can go and shoot our bows, and that gives us an extra hour in the evening to do that. It, there's so many reasons why I love Time Change Sunday. I am, uh, I'm sure I'm in the minority in that opinion. Uh, but whether you're a morning person or you're a night owl, we're all here together. So thank you for being here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, you are a God in the morning. You're a God in the evening. And everything in between that for us morning people, you meet us here. For us night owls, you meet us there. And at every moment, every season of life, you are there with us always. And because of that, we say thank you. In your son's name, amen. Hey, in your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I just, I want to mention, we talk about this a lot. I hope that more and more of you are getting into this practice, beginning your day 15 minutes in the Word. Before you do anything else, 15 minutes in the Word, before you check your phone, before you check your email, 
anything, that's where you start. If you're already doing that, I want to give you another challenge. And that's this. Whenever you open your Bible in the morning to read, take your time. Read slowly. Some of the most powerful moments in Scripture happen over the course of just a few words and one phrase. And often we miss it because we're volume reading, because we're reading too quickly. One of those moments, one of the most important moments in all of Scripture, it happened in, in the course of just, just a few words. Jesus, he's, he's at a crossroads. He's got a choice to make. He's got a decision to make. And what he decides will forever change the shape of creation. And it happens in just a few words. But it's the most pivotal choices, one of the most pivotal choices of all time. And most of us have read this story many times. Most of us have heard this story many, many times. But I'm willing to bet most of us miss just how important that moment was. Because we say, oh, I've read this before, I know what's happening. Or we read too quickly and we don't pay attention. So what was that moment? What was that moment that was so pivotal? What was the decision Jesus had to make? What was that choice? What did, what did he say? So I want you to take that story. We're going to set it to the side, okay? We're going to set it over here. We'll come back to it. Before we're, we're done today, we will come back to this story. On to John chapter 6. I want to pick up there at uh, verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Okay, I want to hit the pause button on the story right there for just a moment. Because I... I kind of feel for Philip in this moment. I feel for the disciples in this moment because what do you do? What do you do when somebody who's all-knowing asks you a question? It's a trap, isn't it? Like Jesus is testing Philip. He's testing him. Jesus knows. He wants to see how Philip answers the question. Now, having said that, Philip probably could have answered the question a little bit better than how he did. So how, how does Philip answer the question? If you look there in verse 7, what does Philip say? He says, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip's basically saying, I don't know, Jesus. What are we going to do? <laughs> He's getting a little passive-aggressive with Jesus right now. You see, a, a denarius, it's, it's equal to one full day's wage. And so he's basically saying, Jesus, $50,000 wouldn't be enough for everybody here to get a little. I don't got $50,000. Do you? He's, he's kind of bowing up a little bit with Jesus, isn't he? Now, in his defense, Philip, he doesn't know yet who Jesus is. He know, A rabbi, sure. A teacher, sure. A brilliant man, of course. I'm sent on a mission from God, yes. Divine, Philip doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know. And so it's really, really unfortunate timing if you consider this moment where 
This is a moment Philip decides he's going to bow up to Jesus. Later that night, it just happened to be the night that Jesus literally walks on water. I have to imagine when Jesus is in the boat and he sees, or sorry, when Philip sees Jesus walking on water, Philip's thinking about this moment. He's watching Jesus walk on water and he's thinking to himself, wow, Philip, this is the guy you thought was, you thought you were going to bow up to. You are an idiot. <laughs> so I feel for him. But what does Jesus say? How, how does Jesus respond to, to Philip's statement? Well, we don't know. Do, we, don't, we don't hear what Jesus says. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing Jesus gives Philip a look. If you're a parent, you know this look. It's this look right here. This is the look you give your kid when you think, okay, I know you're intelligent. I've seen you do intelligent things before. How on earth did those words just come out of your mouth? And I'm guessing Jesus stays with this look for a while. He's kind of staring at Philip, almost in disbelief that he just said what he said. He's almost as if to say, Philip, is this your first day on the job? I mean, you've, you've been with me a little bit. Really? And, and I'm guessing he's staying with that look long enough, just in silence, that it gets really awkward for the disciples. And they start whispering amongst each other. They're saying, okay, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to say something fast. Jesus is getting frustrated with Philip. Somebody's got to get in there and save him. Well, that somebody just happened to be Andrew. But I don't think he really knew what to say either. So there in verse 8, I see, I see Andrew just kind of timid about walking into the fray between Jesus and Philip. He's probably not looking at Jesus or Philip. He's probably looking more at the ground, just desperate to find something slightly more intelligent to say. And as he's walking up, just on a whim, something catches his eye, and he sees it. He's like, wow. Hey, Jesus, there's this, there's this kid over here, and he's got some barley loaves. And some fish. And as soon as he says it, he hears it. He, and he hears how ridiculous it sounds. And so right away he offers the caveat, yeah, but what good is that with, with all of these people? Now maybe, maybe Andrew's answer was a bit, a bit better than Philip's. But I think it's worth pointing out, after Andrew speaks... At this point, Jesus, he, he shuts down the Q&A with the disciples. There in verse 10, he has everybody seated. And in verse 11, Jesus, he grabs the bread. He breaks it, he gives thanks. And after Jesus gives thanks for the bread and the fish, he begins to feed the crowds. And after they're done, he has the disciples go and pick up the leftovers. And the leftovers, they fill up 12 basketfuls. And the crowd is amazed. I would argue this whole scene shifted on that one word, thanks. Jesus says thanks. So we've been talking for a few weeks now about life-changing words. I don't want to over-dramatize this. But that one word, thanks. It could be the most life-changing, powerful word that you ever speak. Here's how I know. I see a common thread 
with people that I know who have joy. And I see a common thread with people who are miserable. And guess what? The common thread has very little to do with stuff. I know many wealthy people who have joy. And I know wealthy people who are in misery. I know impoverished people who have joy. And impoverished people who have misery. The common thread is that one word, thanks. People who have joy, they know how to say this word and they know how to mean it. People who are miserable, that word thanks, all it is, thanks is just another sarcastic response to the, whatever challenge they're dealing with. Do you know who I'm talking about? The person that no matter what, they just can't say thanks. It doesn't matter what you do for them. Whatever good deed you do for them, the first thing out of their mouth is to talk about how it could have been better or how it wasn't really the right thing to do. No matter what, no matter what's going on in the world, they just can't say thanks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe somebody in this room or online, maybe one of you, maybe that's you. Maybe you struggle with saying that word. So I want to invite everybody, because, because we're talking about this word, I want to make sure... 100% of us say this word today. We're all going to say it together, okay? Can we do that? Okay, on the count of three, we're going to say it. One, two, three. Thanks. Oh, it sounds lovely, and it's not so hard to say. All right, I want to go back to this story for just a minute. When we look at Philip, it's, it's, it's easy to case on Philip for his, his response, his not-so-intelligent response. But we've been there, right? We've all been in that place in life when we can't see anything. All we see are problems, challenges. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're in this season right now. And if you are, what are we learning? What are we learning from Philip? In your notes, it's this. Number one, it's hard to say thanks when I focus on what I don't have. You see, this is Philip. All he could see were the crowds, the hungry people, the problems. And so it's no surprise that when Jesus asks him what he thinks they ought to do, Philip's like, hey, why are you asking me? There's, there's no solutions here. There's just problems. This is, this is where I was about a month ago, almost exactly a month ago. Um, if you remember when that, that winter storm hit, uh, we woke up that Monday morning, no power. No big deal. They're doing rolling blackouts, it'll come back on. It didn't. Like, like many of you, my family, we went a whole week without any power. And we have an old home, and so the internal temperature dropped down into the low 30s. So we had to relocate for a week. So that first night, that Monday night, I go back home just to check on everything. And as soon as I pull into our neighborhood, I mean, it looks like a ghost town. There's no porch lights, nothing. And then I get into my house. And as soon as I walk into my house, it's such an eerie feeling. No sound, no life, no light, just a cold, dark, empty nothingness. So I go upstairs because it's the warmest place in the house. And I'm there for about an hour. And I start spiraling. Now, I don't normally 
take selfies, but I did in this moment just because I wanted to capture what I was feeling. I wanted to remember what I was feeling, and this was that picture. This was that moment for me. I'm in this room. There's nobody around me. It's cold, dark, empty, and to make matters worse, you see, I've got one guitar on the wall. There was a guitar next to it. Most important guitar that I own, it was the, one of the last things my Nana bought for me before she passed away. That evening, it split in three places across the face of the guitar. The word thanks was nowhere to be found in here. It wasn't. The word why, yeah, that was there. And in almost an instant, it changes. And it had to have been divine intervention because I very quickly got another image in my mind. This was the image that I got. It was my family. You see, when we had to relocate, two other families, the Adamsons and the Gales, they call us. And they say, pack your bags, come on over. We didn't even have to ask. They reached out to us. They said, our home is open, come with us. And they opened up their home for a full week for me and my family. And I began to think about where I was in that room, that cold, dark, empty room. And I began to think how different that moment would be for me if in that moment my family was there with me in that cold, dark, empty room with no escape. And immediately, I became so overwhelmed with gratitude. In that room, up there, by myself, out loud, I began to sing the doxology. Do you know it? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right away, everything shifted for me. Did, did anything about my circumstances change? one thing, not one thing, but how I saw it, how I related to it, completely shifted, and it shifted on that one word, thanks, if this is where you are, if you're in that season where the only word that's swimming in your head is why, why me, why now, why this, why, why, if that's where you are, you got a choice to make, and here it is, in your notes, choose to focus on what I have. Make no mistake, it's a choice. When you feel like you got nothing going for you, start by making a gratitude list. Write down the things that you got going. You see, you got this thing called your well of gratitude, and it's inside of you. God's put it there, and that's where that word thanks comes from. And it works just the opposite of other wells, of other tanks. You think, you know, you fill up your gas tank. The more you drive, the emptier it gets. But you see that well of gratitude, the more you use it, the more it overflows. You start by making a gratitude list, and if you have trouble coming up with anything, let me, let me give you two tips. Take your fingers, do that. You got a pulse? Do this. You got air in your lungs. There's two things right there that you didn't earn that God graciously gives you every moment of every day. And if you think that's not worth being grateful for, think about not having that. What then becomes the most important thing in your world? Those two things. It's a choice. 
But maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not in such a dark place like Andrew. Or, yeah, like, like Philip. Maybe you're more like Andrew. You see, Andrew wasn't in such a dark place that he couldn't see what he had. Andrew's mistake was this. He thought it wasn't good enough. In your notes, number two, I limit the possibility of God's blessing when I complain about what little I have. When you read scripture, like, like I said before, take your time. Read slow. Pay attention. You get bonus points if you take the time to go out and buy a Bible dictionary. I know that sounds insanely boring, but it's a, it's a worthy thing to do. Get a Bible dictionary, and what you do is you start to look up words, even the words that you know. But you pay attention to the details. What does Andrew say? He says, Jesus, all we got is barley bread. This ain't it, chief. This ain't it. I read that and I'm thinking, huh. That's an interesting detail. Barley. Why does he say barley? What I've learned at this point is anytime there is a detail in the Bible that seems incidental, chances are it's not. There's a reason why it's there. So I grab my Bible dictionary, and I open it up, and I look up that word, barley, and what do I read? It says this. It says that where Jesus was here, it was known as the land of wheat and barley. And barley was the cheaper of the two. It was reserved for feeding animals and the poor. And Andrew points this out. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, all we got is bread. He said, Jesus, all we got is barley bread. He's not just pointing out what little they have. He's pointing out the poor quality of what little they have. Church, this is a, a slippery, slippery slope. I see this behavior often in marriages, the way that people will talk about their spouses. They talk about their spouses as though they're barley bread. There's not much there, and what, what is there, it ain't it. Ain't it. Be careful the words that you use. Because the reality is this. Every word that we speak, it has power. The words that we speak create the world that we live in. You speak about your spouse, focusing on all their faults, about ways that they could be better. You're creating a world that you're living in that that's all that your spouse will ever be in your mind. It doesn't matter what reality is. In your mind, that's all they are. And you talk about them as though they're the miserable. When, when in reality, it's you. Maybe you're the one who doesn't have the joy. So how does Jesus respond to Andrew's comment about the barley bread? Jesus takes the little amount of the poor quality food that he had and he turns to God and he says, thanks. And guess what? He meant it. When what we have is not much, we have a choice to make. And here it is. Look at what I have in full view of the one who gave it to me. How might that change your marriage? If you looked at your spouse in full view of the one who gave them to you, if you looked at your spouse as though this is a gift from God, this is somebody that God loves, God created, that God continues to give life to, 
And God has entrusted them in my care. How does that change how you look at them? I want to show you a picture of something. Take a look at it. This, this piece of paper right here. That's all it is. It's just a piece of paper. If you walked up to me and you handed me this piece of paper, I'm not sure what I would do. I might say thanks, but I don't know if I would mean it. But when I think about it, in full view of the one who gave it to me, it changes everything. About a month ago, a little more than a month ago, yeah, right before Valentine's Day, my daughter Ava and I, we go out on a daddy-daughter date. And the first place that we go, we go to a pizza place. And we sit down. She's sitting across uh, the booth from me. And as soon as she sits down, she's got this grin on her face. Like, she's got this surprise. Like, she's got a secret. She knows something that I don't know, and she's super excited about it. And I, I like, I know that grin. And she's sitting down, and she, she reaches into her pocket. And she pulls out this wad of paper. And she sits it down, and she unfolds it. And she says, here you go, Daddy. And I look at it, and it says, Daddy and Daughter Date. And it's a picture she drew of the two of us. How much more important do you think this piece of paper is now when I look at it in full view of my little Ava who gave it to me? Here's the reality. Every good thing that we have in this life, the air that we breathe, the beating of our hearts, every good thing is a gift from God. When you struggle to find value in what little you have. You take a look at what little you have and you say, you know what, this is all I got, but God, you gave this to me. It came from you. Thank you. You see, that's what, that's what Jesus was doing here. This is what he's showing his disciples, what he's teaching the crowds. The miracle wasn't so much that the, that the food, it just it, it multiplied like crazy. The miracle was that people began to see Jesus as the giver of the gift, the giver of all good things. And it changes everything about their value system. It changes everything about what they think they need, what they think they want. Because the reality is Jesus, he's in the same boat as the rest of them. He's living the same experience that they have. He doesn't have any more than what any of them have. But Jesus... Is grateful. Jesus knows how to say thanks. You see, that's why that word, thanks, is such a powerful, life-changing word. In your notes, number three, when I say thanks for what little I have, I experience the impossibility of God's provision. Now, you don't have to go there, but just a few chapters later, in John chapter 11, Lazarus, he'd been dead for days, and his family was in grief. They're heartbroken. Jesus shows up. Jesus is in grief. Jesus is heartbroken. Yet, in the middle of his heartache, in the middle of Jesus' grief, what does he do? He walks up to the lifeless body. Of Lazarus. And in verse 41, what does Jesus say? Through his tears, through his pain, through his grief, Jesus turns to God and says, Thank you for hearing me. And Lazarus comes to life. When we start saying thanks 
life happens. Life begins. We go from merely surviving to really living. If you're somebody who struggles with gratitude, who struggles with that word thanks, I would argue you're not really living yet. You're just surviving. All you're doing is hosting a heartbeat. But whenever you are able to say thanks and mean it, that is the moment life begins in you. Even, even when you don't want to. In your notes, saying thanks in every moment is not the same as saying thanks for every moment. Do you understand the difference? We don't have to be thankful for the moment. We don't have to be thankful for the tragedy, for the grief, for the sadness. We're thankful because we know that God is good. We're thankful because we have faith. And the promise that we read in Romans 8.28 that in all things God works for the good. We're thankful because tragedy doesn't get the last word. We're thankful because no matter what, God's in control. We're thankful because we have faith that God never stops working for the good. The question is, do you believe it? So what was that pivotal moment for Jesus? Do you remember at the beginning where we began? The, the crossroad, the, the, the choice that Jesus had to make. What was that choice that Jesus had to make? What did he say? Where was he when this happened? It's right here. When Jesus came to the table, this was the moment. You see, Jesus knew his time was short. He knew time was running out, and he had a choice to make. He knew the cross was just around the corner. And he had a choice. He could have run. He could have left. He could have left Jerusalem. He could have gone into obscurity and stayed safe. But what does he do? He grabs the bread. He breaks it. And he turns to his Father in heaven. What does he say? He says, thanks. And you see, he's not just saying thanks for the bread that he's holding. He's saying thanks for what that bread represents. His physical body. The only thing that he had left in this life. That was it. His best friends, the disciples, they were about to desert him. And he knew it. The soldiers were about to rip his body apart. He knew that too. In this moment, the only thing he had left was his physical body. And when he looked around and he saw that, he said, okay, this is all I got. This is all I got. God... And because in that moment, Jesus chooses to say thanks for the little that he had left. Because he does that, we all experience the miraculous impossibility of God's provision. Thanks is the bridge from suffering to redemption. The question is, do you believe it? You got a choice to make. Because life's going to happen. Tragedy is going to happen. That word thanks, there's absolutely nothing benign about that word. Spoken at the right time, that word thanks, it could be the most powerful word that ever comes out of your mouth. Thanks is the most powerful when it's the hardest to say.
today. You see, saying thanks to God when you're in the valley, when you're in the trenches and everything has been taken away from you in that moment, when you can still turn to God and you can say thanks, what you're saying is, hey, God, you're all I got left. But guess what? You are all I need. You are enough. But you see, when you say that, you're not just talking to God in that moment. When life happens and everything gets taken away from you, everything that you held dear, in that moment when you say thanks, you're saying thanks to God, you're speaking to the brokenness, to the evil of the world in that moment. You're not just saying, hey, God, thank you. You're saying to the brokenness and the evil, you're saying, nah. You don't get that word from me. You don't get to take thanks away from me. You can take everything else away from me. You can take these people that I love dearly, but guess what? I know they're in God's care. I know God's taking care of them. You don't get the last word. You can take the heartbeat out of me, but God's got the last word. You can take everything from me, but that one word thanks, because it comes from this well deep inside of me that God has placed there. You don't get it. And when you do that, when you say that in that moment, you're joining Jesus in that moment when you say, not today, Satan. Not today. You don't get that word. It's not yours. Do you believe it? You have a choice to make. What choice will you make when you were in the valley? I invite you all to stand right now and join me in what we're going to say. gratitude, Lord, and what it really means to have a heart of thanksgiving. We worship you and we praise you. Thank you for this amazing day. In your son's name we pray. Amen.